and that fellowship among the members of the Godhead enable Father, Son, and Spirit to function as one. Amen. They function as one. And then we've looked at these two examples in Scripture of positional and functional oneness. And um, the word, and I've, I've, I've looked and looked and looked for the right word here. And example is a word, but it's, what we're talking about now is more than an example. And I, I feel like this word portrayal, a, you know, something that portrays something else, a picture of something else. And so we see these two portrayals, marriage between a man and a woman makes them one and provides the basis for them to function as one. And then the other example we see in Scripture is many different members joined together in one body enable the body, a single body, to function as one, many members, one body. Of course, the greatest example of this for us to learn from is Jesus functioned as one with His Father while here upon the earth. He said in John 10.30 that me and my Father are one. In John 5.30, he said, I can of my own self do nothing. And then John 14.10, he said, Do you not believe that I'm in the Father and the Father in me? So one with, I'm in the Father, the Father's in me. The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. The Father who dwells in me does the works. Now I want you to consider for a moment, as we move forward tonight, I want you to consider for a moment the pattern that has been established for you and me to look to and learn from. And that pattern is one with God. We see Christ in us. And in the same way Jesus was one with His Father and could do nothing without His Father, you and I have been made one with Jesus and can do nothing without Him. And it's Jesus in us who does the works. It's Jesus in us who is working with us and in us and through us. And all of these are painting a beautiful picture of fellowship. Now, the oneness of fellowship produces the highest level of cooperation. The oneness of fellowship produces the highest level of cooperation. I'm going to say that a few different ways and talk a little more about that right now, but, but let me just help you get the feel at least for for what the Holy Spirit's saying to us in this in this point right here. The stronger the bond of fellowship, the more those in fellowship with one another are able to operate. And and so we've slipped another word in here because we're talking about the positional oneness that we have being born again, being born into the family of God, being made one with God through the new birth. But then the functional oneness Remember, the positional gives us a platform for the functional to develop. In the same way, when a man and woman enter into a marriage covenant before God, they become positionally one. But then the renewing of the mind, the adjusting to living together with another human being, amen, and that's where the functional oneness is developed. And so the oneness of fellowship produces the highest level of cooperation. People who are in fellowship with one another can produce infinitely more, exponentially more than those who are not. This is why Satan tries so hard to, to bring division and to bring strife and use things like envy and jealousy and unforgiveness. He's trying to, to, to uh, hinder, uh, interfere with, interrupt, intercept, um, our fellowship, because again, 
the oneness of fellowship produces the highest level of cooperation. Now, I know that you can spell cooperation without a hyphen, but I'm wanting to emphasize co and operate, cooperate, cooperation. So the power of agreement and synergy are byproducts of fellowship. The power of agreement and the power of synergy, powerful forces that come from God that are available to you and me, are byproducts of fellowship. When we say byproducts of, you, you can't have the level of agreement that, that is required to produce what God has put us on this earth to produce apart from fellowship. And the same is true with this spiritual force of synergy. Let me give you a few verses on that. Matthew chapter 18 and verse 19, Jesus speaking, Again I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. So we sometimes think, you know, well, I agree, do you agree? I agree with that, do you agree? We're not talking about some shallow uh, mental uh, assent, mental consent, whatever. The, the, the level of agreement that he's talking about here uh, is something that positionally comes through the new birth and then functionally is developed through fellowship. So again, the point is the power of agreement and synergy are byproducts of fellowship. You can't have synergy and agreement to the, to the extent and level that we need apart from fellowship. Fellowship with God and then fellowship with one another. Amen. Fellowship with God and fellowship with one another is where this level of agreement and synergy are developed. Amen. Here's another one. Look at this. Genesis 11 and 6. And the Lord said, Indeed, these people are one. And they all have one language. These people are one, and they all have one language, and this is what they begin to do. Now, nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. This, this is showing us, again, the power of agreement and the power of synergy. And what's interesting about this example is that these people weren't doing something for God. They weren't doing something in the name of God. They weren't being inspired by God or led by the Spirit to do what they were doing. They were being led by their own pride. They were being led by their uh, their own uh, selfish uh, d- desires to, to produce and to build. But notice, again, the power of, of these things because the people are one, but the people are one. There's... Remember, they were in one accord in the upper room when the Holy Spirit was poured out. These folks have come together, one heart, one mind, one language. They were all thinking the same. They were all working towards the same goal. They were all saying the same thing. And God said, this is what they begin to do. Now, nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. Deuteronomy 32.30 says, one can put a thousand to flight, but two can put ten thousand to flight. We often... Consider this as a spiritual warfare principle, and certainly it is, but the unity, oneness, and fellowship principles are at the heart. Oneness, unity, and fellowship principles are at the heart of this power. And so when we, when we talk about synergy, we're talking about two people coming together, working together, cooperating, operating together, working together. Those two people working together as one can produce more than the sum of their individual efforts. Think about that now for a moment. That's synergy. 
two people working together in fellowship, in oneness, as one, can produce more than their individual efforts. So um, I sometimes just illustrate it this way. If, if Daniel could do five units of work and I could do three, three units of work, then Daniel and I working together, you would think, well, we could produce eight units of work. But no, see, that's not synergy. Synergy is Daniel's five, my three, if we work separate. But working together, we can produce 12, 15 units of work. That's synergy. And, and, and the world understands this principle from the, from the perspective of it working, of it, of it producing the results, but they do not understand that it's something otherworldly. In other words, synergy is not just uh, something physical, amen. It's something very powerful that is a byproduct, again, of oneness, uh, cooperation, unity, and fellowship. Now, we've looked at these verses a few times. Ephesians 5, 29 and 32, For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is the great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. We were talking in discipleship class um, about Abraham and how God asked him to leave his homeland and his family and his people and all that was familiar to come to a place that he would show him when he got there. And this didn't make sense to Abraham, but he, let me say it another way, it didn't make sense to his head, but it made sense to his heart. And he trusted God and he obeyed God, even when his own understanding said, this doesn't make sense, this doesn't add up and we see then a pattern God's a God of pattern we see a pattern here and I've heard it explained this way the old the 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 new King James I'm sorry the old King James version or just the I guess we could say standard King James version it uses the word cleave instead of cling cleave to his wife and it's, a, it's an interesting word in the original language. It's literally talking about something that sticks to something else. Okay? Was it Lionel Richie that sang the song, Stuck on You? Amen. Amen. Well, the Lord stuck me and Pam together 36 years ago, and I'm, I am stuck on you, baby. Amen. But that's cleave, cling. But notice that before the husband can cleave to his wife, he must first what? Leave his mom and dad. And... I know some people go really crazy about what that looks like and what that means, and I believe certainly establishing their own family and all these other things. I heard a guy preaching the other day that, that said that your son and his family is no longer your family. Well, I, I just don't think that's what God intended there, and I'm not here to throw rocks at anybody, but that's not, that doesn't bear witness with my spirit. But what he is talking about here is that, and remember, this is a portrayal it's 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 an example it's a depiction of of what father god and the holy spirit and jesus longs to have with us and so notice we have to leave our old life we have to leave the seed the corrupted seed of adam from which we were originally born and cleave or cling or be made one together with christ so the oneness portrayed in marriage and body is a reflection of the oneness 
that has always been with Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. I know last week we, we went a little deeper with some of this, but I want you to think about that again. The oneness portrayed in marriage, the marriage covenant between a man and a woman, and the body, one body, many members, still one body. That oneness portrayed in these earthly examples of marriage and body is a reflection of the oneness that has always been with Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And we were destined for the oneness with God these examples portray long before there was a body, much less a bride and a groom to portray them. Maybe you've got this already, but I want to spend just a little bit more time here developing this a little further. We have examples in nature of spiritual uh, truth and, and power. That's why Romans 1 says that, you know, no one on earth has a good excuse because, you know, it's plain enough. The message translation says uh, God's uh, divine power and eternal existence are on display in what he made. Look carefully at what he created. And when we think in terms of a physical, biological, natural example of transformation, we have to look no further than a caterpillar becoming a butterfly. A caterpillar becoming a butterfly is an earthly example of transformation or what we call metamorphosis. It's a natural portrayal of God's ability to transform a thing into something else. When God created... Come on now, we... There's so many things in our world that we take for granted. This is why Jesus said, consider the lilies. This is why he, he said, uh, look at the birds. In other words, there's so many things that we take for granted, fascinating things. But you take that chubby little fuzzy little caterpillar that goes in that cocoon and comes out this beautiful butterfly. If we didn't see the caterpillar go in there, we would think there's no way. But again, the metamorphosis is God showing us in nature his ability to transform something into something else. And so we know then that God has always had the ability to transform, and he chose to portray his ability in this unique and beautiful way. Now, where are we going with all this? Well, Father, Son, and Spirit have always been one. And they chose marriage and a multi-membered body functioning as one to portray the oneness for which we were created and have been called to. In other words, the oneness that is portrayed in these different earthly examples are a reflection or a portrayal of the oneness that exists within the Godhead, within the Trinity. But the Scriptures are very clear. We were created to be brought into that oneness, to be a part of that beautiful picture. So the caterpillar turned butterfly are to transformation what marriage and the body are to positional 
and functional oneness. Now, I've been listening to these sermons myself, and and I don't always do that, but I've really just, the Lord's been stirring in me so much about these things, and I've, I've been taking the time to listen to them. And this point right here, I don't know about you, but I mean, it does something for me to say it, but it does even, it does something else even more for me to hear it, okay? And I thought, you know what, I'm going to leave this slide in for a while. Jesus recognizes and honors you as an individual member of his own body. Don't let that sell over your head. And we've, of course, looked at Hebrews 2.11, other verses that confirm this. But Jesus recognizes and honors you as an individual member of his own body. If you're born again, you are one with Jesus as much as any member of your body is one with you. Now, we've been asking and answering this question. What does it mean to be the body of Christ? We are the body of Christ. The Bible is very clear about that. But what, is, what does that mean? How, how are we to understand that? How, how are we to allow that truth to resonate in our hearts? How, how are we to allow that truth to shape the way we see ourselves and others? How, how are we to allow the, the, the you know, what, it, in other words, if, if, we, if we don't fully understand what God means when he says this, then how can we ever benefit from being the body of Christ the way he desires for us to benefit from. And we said the first thing, and we haven't got past the first one yet, but we said the first thing that we need to understand when it comes to what it means to be the body of Christ is that it's literal, not figurative. That we are literally the body of Christ. And again, just to try to organize this better for you, let's look at a few verses. 1 Corinthians twelve twenty-seven. Doesn't get any plainer than this right here. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. So many times when we, when we see teaching in the Word of God concerning the body of Christ, there will also along with that be uh, mention or truth or stated something to the effect of members, and then uh, at least on a few occasions he talks about the, the, being the member individually. Father God sees you as an individual. He knows you as an individual. I think this is sometimes where, where religion has fallen into this trap of a personal relationship. He, he knows you and loves you and sees you and recognizes you as an individual. He stamped individuality in you, spirit, soul, and body. Of all the billions of people that have ever lived, no one's ever had your thumbprint. And God did that. I said God did that. So you, you are an individual to him. But because of his purposes for us, he sees you as, a, as the body of Christ and a member individually. In other words, Father God is well able to, to understand you as an individual member of the body. And if he, if he didn't recognize you as an individual member, then he wouldn't know where you fit in the body. Okay, But it doesn't get any plainer, as I've already said. Now, 
not one day, not something you grow into, not something you, you know, are good enough, long enough to become. No, through the new birth, now you are the body of Christ and members individually. How about this one, Matthew 25, 40, And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. So acts of service, acts of kindness, um, ministering to people, clothing people, feeding people, visiting people, loving people, doing good to people. Members of the body of Christ, Jesus says, if you've done these things to one of the least in the, in the, of my brethren. So remember, he's not ashamed to call us brethren. That means members of the same body. As far as Jesus is concerned, you did it to me, right? Now, I want you to think about this because I, don't, I, don't, I want to choose my words carefully here, okay? Um, if a stranger called you at 2 in the morning and asked you to come to the other side of Birmingham to help them, I mean, you may do that and be led by the Spirit, you know. But if your son or daughter or husband or wife or hopefully your pastor, I mean, you know, you understand somebody that that um, that you're 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 close to, right? We would perhaps be more motivated to help some people more than we would other people. And I'm not again no respecter of persons. I'm just saying. Um, we get more joy sometimes out of doing things for people that are very close to us and, and, and that. I'm not, I know there's all kinds of teaching there. I'm not trying to hear the, the spirit of what I'm saying, not the letter. Okay. But according to Jesus, well, let me say it this way. If Jesus called you at 3 in the morning and said, hey, I need a ride. I mean, we would take off, right? But he's saying that if you, if you take off to go help somebody that would be the least in the body of Christ, it's no different than you going and doing it for him, see? This is body. This is fellowship. This is literally the body of Christ. We see it again in Acts 9 and 4, and we see this a few different times as Paul told the story again and again. It says, Then he, Paul, fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Again, now you are the body of Christ and members individually. We've looked at this verse already, Ephesians 5.30. Again, for we are members of His body, of His flesh, and of His bones. So understanding the truth about fellowship and understanding the truth about being the body of Christ go hand in hand. Now, amen. Let's do this. Some of this we've already covered, and I'm wanting to get to some new things tonight, but I want to make sure you're combining all of these things together. So we ended last week talking about our being complete in Jesus. And, um, and we see this in Colossians 2, 9 and 10. For in Him, in Jesus, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in Him, who is the head of all principality and power. So, we are 
we are complete in Christ. And we could preach that just about any Bible-believing church and folks would agree with it, not get too um, stirred up about it. But then we come to what we also see in Ephesians 1, 22 and 23, and we see this in other places as well. It says, And He, speaking of God the Father, put under His feet, speaking of Jesus, put all things under His feet and gave Him, Jesus, to be head over all things to the church, which is His body, to the church, which is His body. The fullness of Him who fills all in all. So we're asking this question, what does it mean to be the body of Christ? Well, to be the body of Christ means to be the fullness of Him who fills all in all. To be the fullness of Him who fills all in all. Well, that sounds beautiful. That sounds poetic. What does it mean? The body of Christ, the church which is His body, the called out ones which are His body, and we are the fullness of Him who fills all in all. Now, this word fullness is the Greek word pleroma, and it is synonymous with, and in some cases even translated the same as complete. The idea behind something that is full, think of like a, if this building was full tonight, we would we'd be saying is that at least every seat was taken. In, um, if a, if a, if a flight on a, on a jetliner is full, I'm kind of a big guy and, you know, fitting in those airplane seats, so it's music to my ears when the stewardess says, um, the flight's not going to be full today, so feel free to uh, spread out and make, I'm like, yes, Jesus, you know, as opposed to, all right, ladies and gentlemen, we've got a full flight tonight, every seat's going to be taken, so I need you to scoot over, I'm like, you know, Amen. So that's full, right? It's, 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 it's capacity. So complete and fullness are from the same Greek word. It just depends on how they're used in certain sentences. And even in this verse, some translations have fullness, while others actually use the word complete, and it would be accurate. So look at it in the God's Word translation. The church is Christ's body and completes Him as He fills everything in every way. The Good News Bible, the church is Christ's body, the completion of Him who Himself completes all things everywhere. Now this isn't about having you know, some doctrine to excite or be extreme or what have you. I'm wanting you to see these things because I'm, I'm, we need to see what it means to be the body of Christ from God's perspective. We, we've looked at it through the lens of relationship long enough. We've looked at it from what we think it ought to be and what it, we think it ought to mean long enough. This is what it means to God. You may not see it this way, but I'm telling you, brother, sister, this is how he sees it. As far as God is concerned, you complete him who is the head of all things, who fills all in all. Now, what does this look like? What does, it, what does it actually mean? You see, in the same way that you're not complete without Jesus, Jesus is not complete without you. 
Therefore, the Godhead is no longer complete without the head and the body of Christ. When Jesus became our sin, He was separated from the Trinity, died, and went to hell for you and as you. Father God turned His back on Jesus, knowing that if He did, it would be the knowing that if he did, it would be the last time he ever had to turn his back on one of his children. Psalm 16 and 10 says, For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. And of course, this is the verse that Jesus went to the cross and died believing that he would give his life, but his father's word was that he would not leave his soul in hell and that he would not allow him to see corruption. His body would have begun to, to decay and corrupt after three days. If Jesus had remained separated from God the Father and God the Holy Spirit, would the triune God have ever been complete again? I'm speaking as a man, but I'm trying to get you to see something. None of us, none of us would, would think of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit being complete without the Son. So God the Father and God the Holy Spirit are not complete without Jesus. But now watch this. According to the Word of God, Jesus is not complete without you. I'm, I'm trying not to be over, overly sensitive here. But there are times when, and it may not be anybody in this room. It may be people watching online. But I've, I've preached and I've ministered long enough, especially when it comes to getting out of brush and cutting in against the baseboards as opposed to just rolling down the middles. When, when I start feeling that resistance, I start feeling people kind of taking a step back. And, I, and I'm not wanting you to, to take a step back. I'm wanting you to lean into this. Let me rephrase that. The Holy Spirit is not wanting you to take a step back. He's wanting you to lean into this. There are reasons why the body of Christ is not doing what the body of Christ is supposed to be doing in the world today. And I believe this has a lot to do with that. Because we don't really see ourselves as the body of Christ. We don't really see ourselves as important to the mission. We don't really see ourselves as something or someone that God needs, that Jesus needs. My friend, He needs you. He's not complete without you. This is deeper down in my notes, but let me say it now and I'll say it again if we get there tonight, okay? What can your head do without your body? What can the head Jesus do without His body in the earth? We are the fullness of Him who fills all in all. We are the bride to His groom, and we are the body to His head. Again, we were destined for the oneness with God. These portray long before there was a body, much less a bride and a groom to portray them. When a man and a woman are made one by God, they will never be complete again without one another. Woman was taken from man and came forth from him. Woman was taken from man and came forth from him. In the same way, we were taken from God and came forth from him. Brother Donald and I were talking a couple of weeks ago about this, and he said the Lord told him, when I saved you, I saved part of myself. It's powerful, brother. A bride without a groom is not complete. A groom without a bride is not complete. A head without a body is not complete. A body without a head is not complete. 
a member of the body disconnected from the body is not complete. My left arm has much more than a relationship with the rest of my body. My left arm completes my body, and my body completes my left arm. One cannot be complete without the other. To be clear, a left arm without a body is incomplete, and a body without a left arm is also incomplete. A body can function without a member, but a member cannot function without a body. The functionality of the body decreases in proportion to the missing member. If a body is disconnected from its head, neither body nor head can function. So again, I ask you, how can Jesus function in the earth without His body? Now, lest you've lost sight of it, let's go back. We're talking about, among other things, positional and functional oneness. We're not just talking about position. We're not just talking about being saved. We're not just talking about on my way to heaven. We're talking about functioning in the earth as the body of Christ. How can we ever hope to function as the body of Christ if we've yet to even acknowledge that we are the body of Christ? And, and even if we're willing to acknowledge it, you know, most people, well, I, I shouldn't say it that way, but a lot of people, a lot of people are certainly not willing to acknowledge the fullness about what God has to say about these things. Now, let me finish here. The individual members of the body must come under and submit themselves to the will of the head. And let me try to illustrate what I'm talking about here. If my right leg will not cooperate with my head, we call that dysfunction. Amen? If my right leg will not cooperate with my left leg, we call that co-op, we call that not co-op, we call that dysfunction. Okay? You with me? So now we're, we're talking about individual members of the body refusing to cooperate with one another. I know you got it, but let me go back over it. If my right leg will not cooperate with my head, that's dysfunction. If my right leg will not cooperate with my left leg, that's dysfunction. If my right and left leg are both cooperating with my head, they will cooperate with one another by default. If two members of the body of Christ are both cooperating with the head, they will cooperate with one another. The opposite is also true. If two or more members of the body of Christ are not cooperating with one another, somebody's not cooperating with the head. Are you seeing how this works? See, we've we've tried to develop unity in the body of Christ, but we've left out the unifying factor of the head, Jesus when there was a, dis, a, a disparity, when there was a division between Jew and non-Jew, one, by the way, that God created when He separated Abraham out from the rest of the nations and, and, and made the descendants of Abraham His chosen people. But now in Christ, God the Father wants this, this separation, this division Corrected and healed. So what was the solution? The solution was for both Jew and non-Jew to, to be born of the same seed, becoming one new man in Christ Jesus. 
Amen. Why is that? Because Father God wants Jew and non-Jew alike to cooperate together with Him. So we, we, we said, well, you know, we, we need unity. We need, there's a lot of talk about that in our world today, right? We need unity. We need unity in our world. There will never be unity among two people or two million people until the unifying factor of the head, the living, breathing, eternal Son of God, becomes that unifying factor. It's true in a marriage between a husband and a wife. It's true of a, of a business. In any, any group of people, if there's, if there's going to be oneness, right? If you're going to function as, as one, functional oneness, we've got to find our place as it relates to the head. And here's the last verse and we'll pray. Romans 12, 4 and 5. For we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. There's the word again, function. So we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Amen. Amen. Stand with me tonight. Do you see this? Individually members of one another. See, this is the next thing. What does it mean to be the body of Christ? To be the body of Christ means I'm not just one with Jesus. I'm one with every other person who is a member of his body. And if you and I will focus on cooperating with the head as as he directs us in our place, in our position in the body, that is what will create cooperation amongst the members in the body of Christ. Amen? Amen. Praise God. Father, we love you. Thank you for helping us. Thank you for the beautiful things that you put in your word. The Lord, it's, it's, um, it's, it doesn't take much of our imagination, Lord, to picture these things, to see these things. You've, you've made it so clear and, and you've painted it um, in, in, in such a um, an obvious way. And, and Lord, I thank you that you're helping us see and understand and, and recognize and relate to and help us, Lord, just like Jesus when you told a parable to get us, to get us close to the kingdom so that we could take the step of faith into the, into the kingdom, Lord. You, you've given us examples and portrayals and depictions of these things in our world, Lord, to bring us close enough to them so that we can take the faith, take the step of faith and operate in them. Lord, I thank you that everything we put our hands to, Lord, the rest of this week, prosperous for your glory. Reveal yourself to these, your people, in personal and meaningful ways. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Tell somebody around you good things to come and thank you for being here tonight. We will see